Today, Donna and I are recording from the lands of the Wathaurong people and we wish to pay our respects to their elders past and present. And I'm recording today from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we would also like to acknowledge that this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You can do whatever you sort of set your mind to. It doesn't have to be decided at 18 that, you know, this is what you're going to do. I suppose every little bit that you do along the way is learning. Today's interviewee has worn many different hats. A trained teacher, mother of two and now entrepreneur. Today we hear from Donna Johnson. Donna, with the support of her husband, ex-Bulldogs captain Brad, got herself back into work and feeling confident after many years in the tireless yet wonderful job that doesn't exactly stack a CV stay-at-home parenting. Now Donna is the creator of the Xena Vest, you may have seen proudly sported by many AFLW superstars, a high-impact protection vest that supports and protects female athletes or those athletes whose physiology can benefit from it. So Donna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your time and we cannot wait to hear your whole story start until right now. So take us back, I guess, to what growing up was like for you, a little bit about your family and yeah, those early days. Thanks for having me. Um, so my childhood, I grew up in Hoppers Crossing, uh, Werribee, and at the time it was, um, you know, really small town and I, my father was heavily involved in the local football and cricket club. So we spent majority of our weekends down there having barbecues and, you know, just being in that sporting environment. He was also a mad Melbourne supporter. So we spent our weekends uh, at the MCG barracking on <laughs> the demons. And um, outside of that, we also had a caravan in Ocean Grove. So we, you know, our summers were spent down there with lots of family, lots of friends. Yeah, so I loved my childhood. You know, I grew up in the 80s. It was a lot, I think, easier back then, um, a lot more carefree. Yeah, I just remember, you know, summers in the backyard with our swimming pool and all our neighbours and, you know, it was just a really good time to grow up. So Brad and I actually grew up probably two streets away from each other. Wow. Obviously we knew each other growing up, yeah. Uh, so we went to the prim same primary school. So, yeah, and I go back now and obviously, you know, Hoppers Crossing, Werribee is just grown so much but I just still have really fond memories of growing up there. Is your family still there? Yes we've all actually moved throughout the journey so now the majority of my family are down here in um, Geelong and you know that's really handy even though my children are that little bit older now it's great to just have um, them just around the corner to be able to give us a hand when we need it and um, you know particularly now with Zena and the business uh, there's always an extra set of hands to either do some packing or <laughs> my ironing, get that all up today, which is great. I love my mum doing that for me. So, yeah, so no, it's good. <laughs> That's amazing. We all lean on our family for the jobs that we don't want to do. <laughs> That's it. Can you tell us a little bit about where you went after school? So after school, I was uh, in a bit of limbo as to what I actually wanted to do when I finished school. So I got out um, basically the uni guide, I remember, in Year 12 and flipped through it and saw a course for hospitality. I uh, had no idea really what it was, but it said in there that in your third year you could go travelling and, and work on Hayman Island, I think it was which sounded amazing to me. So I uh, got into that course. And then I just remember the first two weeks I had like full chefing economics and I was sitting there just thinking like, 
what have I done? Um, this does not appeal to me whatsoever. I just wanted to go live and work on an island. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at Hayman Island. Exactly. The holiday part of it, not necessarily the working side of it. It only takes three years to get there. <laughs> That's right. So um, I deferred and then I just uh, I worked and still in hospitality for probably another 12 months and then I applied for teaching. So I did that out at RMIT Bandura. And then I went into teaching prep, which I absolutely loved. I loved little kids. So I did that for a few years before I fell pregnant with Ella. And, um, yeah, that was it. I didn't really go back to teaching. I think having had my own kids now, going back into the classroom, yeah, I just wanted to have a bit of a, bit of a break. Donna, do you told us that you live just a couple of streets down from your now husband, Brad. Can you tell us a bit about how you went from neighbours to husband and wife, I suppose? So we actually went to kindergarten with each other and then on to primary school with each other. And at the time, obviously, primary school wasn't huge, so we all knew each other. And when it came to going to high school, he went off to the boys' school down in Geelong and I went off to the girls' school in Altona. But we still saw each other because he was involved at the Hoppers Crossing Football Club as well where my dad and brothers were involved as well. So, yeah, and then I actually asked him because we were just great friends to be my dead partner when I was in year 11 and we always used to joke that wouldn't it be funny if you got chosen to play like representative state footy on the night of the Deb and as luck would have it he did so I still remember the poor guy having to call me I think it was about three weeks out from my Deb night and I had everything the dress and everything ready and he called and basically let me down very nicely I know so anyway we got over that and then yeah we just were great friends and then in year 12 it just sort of um one thing led to another I suppose and yeah I think we were at the end of year 12 we started seeing each other and so from there I guess things blossomed did you get married and then decide to have children and I guess how was navigating all of that those early days of um, motherhood for you so Brad was in we were both in year 12 when he got drafted so he was playing senior football as well as doing his BCE at the time so back then they'd train after school so I'd often see him hop off the bus and then make his way down you know to Footscray for training so he was already very disciplined back then in year 12 like you know he wouldn't really go to any parties he wasn't you know he wouldn't drink he had a goal in mind and he just you know um, was determined to commit to that and I think you know there was never any peer pressure or anything because we just all admired his work ethic for what he was really working towards so yeah we got married around I think we were about 23 24 so he'd been playing for a few years by that stage we had Ella I think I was around 26 so you know it was a great time for us obviously throughout his career and we you know back then the Bulldogs were and probably still are very family orientated so it was like having a second family really for us it was really good and I suppose it's not until you actually finish up that you realize just what an amazing environment the clubs are and um, how much you miss it yeah I know from my experience I've certainly 
created some great friendships already through football. And I actually hear that quite often from the Bulldogs, that they are a really lovely family club. Yeah, yeah. And we are all still really connected. Like even the girls from early days who were that little bit older than me, we still keep in touch. We still catch up for lunches. You know, it's just a really close knit. And then even girls towards the end of Brad's career where Mm -hmm. I'm the eldest, you know, we still sort of keep in touch and catch up when we can. So we're really lucky obviously out of that I've come out of it with a few really really close friends you know which we spent so much you know we basically spent from when I was 18 to you know 34 Mm. together so um week in week out so you, you do you become like family and we all had our kids together so yeah it's really nice to go through it and then reconnect now I suppose when everyone's kids are growing up and touch base as to what everyone's up to it's such a beautiful connection Donna and it's so nice that you've retained those friendships I'm interested in how you said that you know Brad had a really clear vision and goal in year 12 of what he wanted to do but you said the opposite about yourself that you weren't sure what you wanted to do how is that in a relationship dynamic having one person with such a with such a clear focus and one person who was still working out what they wanted to do Straight out. Brad was always like that, though, I think. Even, you know, through high school, he was very much able to put things into separate boxes, I suppose, because it would be, you know, in today's day and age, it'd be really difficult, I think, to be doing BCE and playing senior Mm -hmm. football, given the commitments and the demands on both. So to this day, he's still very much able to segregate things and just put 100% of his focus on what it is that he has to do but I suppose we both supported each other you know I was a bit in limbo as to what I actually wanted to do and I think that's because I am such a not a perfectionist but I knew that whatever I wanted to study I wanted to to keep pursuing so you know he supported me through that and and obviously um, I supported him through what he was doing at the time because he was studying as well so yeah I think once I got on the teaching sort of bandwagon I knew that I always wanted to do something around kids it was just sort of in my nature yeah but unfortunately about two years into teaching I actually was diagnosed with chronic fatigue and had to resign from my teaching job so I think had that not happened I probably would have kept pursuing that as a career option but just given my own health battles I didn't have a choice but to resign and you know that was a really challenging period for us because he was still playing and training and at the time when I was at my worst he was overseas in Ireland actually playing for Australia and he was going to come home but you know I obviously didn't want him to do that because that was a major opportunity that he had been given so yeah look Brad's just got that nature that he's always 100% supportive of whatever you want to do so I always had his backing and you know unfortunately my teaching career was called short at that that time but that's obviously you know once I was able to sort of get my health back on track we decided to have a family of our own so and when you did decide to have a family or grow your family was that a really deliberate conscious decision that you were going to be a stay-at-home mum for a few years when I had the chronic fatigue and had to resign I probably took 12 months off to dedicate just to getting myself right because I knew you know ultimately we wanted to have kids and you know, I was desperate to be a mum. So I knew that I had to get myself right or I would be able to do that. So I probably took a good 18 months off not working 
just to rehabilitate, I suppose. And then that's when we decided to have Ella. But I think I always had in my mind that I really wanted to be at home if we were to have kids. I know I was fortunate enough to have my mum home in those early years. So, and just given Brad's commitments back then, uh, it was just something that, yeah, the two of us decided. So I had Ella and then three years later I had Jack and at the time we were renovating and, and doing lots of other things. So obviously mm. I sort of took that side of things on while Brad was still playing. Yeah, and then it just sort of evolved from there. I think when you have children you just don't really realise what's to come and, you know, where you're going to go ultimately. Yeah. Esther and I kind of, were kind of talking beforehand about both being mums with young children and I guess the unavailability of our significant others sometimes due to football would you see them less and less how I I guess was that as expected for you having chronic fatigue or you know I'm I'm assuming that doesn't necessarily go away you just manage that yeah it doesn't go away and in um, year seven my daughter ended up getting glandular fever and going down the same road of chronic fatigue which has been a real battle for her for her whole high school years obviously that then made my decision to stay home even more clearer because I needed to be there for her and also for Jack yeah look when I think you know people sort of think that they play on the weekends and they train during the week and there's not really much else that they do in between but especially I suppose when Brad was captain there's just so many commitments outside of just the club commitments and still to this day it's the same so we still have to really get together on a weekend and do our weekly calendar and now we've got the kids to bring into it as well because he will the night before say you know oh now tomorrow night I've got you know this this and this and I won't be home till nine o'clock and all that sort of thing and I suppose not that one of us had to be here but ultimately one of us did have to be here because you know they were the commitments that he had and that was his role and that's what I supported him in doing. So, uh, and I think people think the season starts this weekend and, you know, other than training, nothing's been happening, but literally it keeps going throughout the off season. There's always commitments and things that they're asked to do. So, yeah, but I think because we had been together since I was 18, it wasn't new to me. So I, I knew what it was like. If I had have come in, you know, six or seven years into his career, it would have been something I would have had to have got used to. Yeah, and and I think the kids, you know, they know nothing different either. So they know as of this weekend, Dad's really not going to be available too much till October. And, you know, if he can't get to things, they just, you know, accept it because that's just the way it's been. You're listening to the Significant Others podcast. Was there a big shift that happened when his playing career ended? Because he did roll straight into the media, is that right? Yeah, he did. He sort of set himself up a little bit so that if the opportunity came, he would be able to take on, you know, some media work. I think at first when they finish, it's sort of like you can see that their body is almost taken as much as it can and, you know, you think you're going to get your weekends and, you know, there's going to be all this downtime. But um, <laughs> That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we keep talking about. <laughs> I know. I know. So it sort of rolled around and then obviously uh, I remember thinking to myself, well, actually when he played, he was only really committed to the game on the weekend and then maybe a bit of recovery, whereas now being in 
the media. He might be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he might go from Queensland to Perth. So the weekends are actually more without him. But I suppose back when he was playing, it was something that we were all involved in because we all went along and we watched the footy and the kids went to footy crash, which they loved, and they got to catch up with all the other kids. But when he stopped footy and then stepped into the media, it was only him going along. So then all of a sudden we were at home of a weekend, which we didn't have, you know, many of those free weekends prior to him finishing up. But it is a big adjustment, I think, it's a big adjustment for everybody. Uh, the boys, I suppose, are used to going every day and seeing this, you know, group of guys that they're all mates and they've got common interests and there's that real social aspect and they chat and all that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden when they finish up at the club, that stops. So, and then for us as, as wives and girlfriends, obviously all the partners, you know, we're no longer seeing them of a weekend and it is a big adjustment and... It's okay, I think, if you stay in that system and, and you've still got that that interaction. I even say now, like when we go out to do presentations, you know, at football clubs, you can just see this smile come on his face to be back in that club environment and just this joy in his face at any club, just being back in that environment. I kind of imagine that once Pat finishes up playing that there'll be a bit of a shift in the focus of both of us, all of us, our family. And I kind of see that at the moment in our relationship, like that his career takes centre stage and that's fine. It is a short career and that's what we're all committed to. Like it's it's so many people that commit to that career. And I kind of see that when that wraps up that there'll be, you know, a a conscious discussion of equalisation and balance of our lives a bit more. But for you, Donna, when did you start to think about putting yourself first and what you wanted as an individual to do as you said like you know they've only got that small time in football so therefore all that basically is your focus and fully supportive of that and Brad has always been supportive of anything that I wanted to do I suppose it was more me that as the years rolled around I was more like you know well what skills do I have now you know uh, I haven't worked for so many years where would I even go to find a job? Like really self-doubting myself and lacking in confidence. I suppose back to the previous question, you know, when you're involved in that footy environment, you have so many functions and social things that you go to. And then all of a sudden it can, you know, for us, it did stop. And so you're not having those connections anymore as well. So, yeah, as as time went on, I sort of thought, oh, maybe I'll do a little bit of a course and get my skills up. But I think it was really just self-doubt that I'd been out of the system for so long. Technology had moved on so fast and and I sort of missed that gap because I had been home. Computers and everything used to freak me out because I just (laughs) I used to get anxiety just looking at a computer to send the email. And I just thought I am totally, you know, unskilled, useless. And where would I go from here? So at the time, just before Xena, before I came up with the idea, I just remember being in a pretty flat place Jack had just gone off to high school and started year seven and yeah I just felt really useless and just thought what am I going to do with my days now you know the kids are getting older what do I do Mm. so it wasn't like I was looking to start anything or, or trying to come up with a business idea I literally just it was something that I stumbled over one day 
and didn't put any pressure on myself whatsoever to keep pursuing it. But I did keep pursuing it. And, you know, Brad was fully 100% behind me and, and encouraging me. And it was something that I didn't stress about. I just would get up each day and just keep doing a little bit more, a little bit more. And, yeah, I think once we came to the decision that we might actually give it a go, I was a bit nervous because I thought, well, you know, neither of us really have skills in these areas. How are we going to go about this? But I think the more you talk to people and the more people come on board that can help you out, I just felt a real calm with it and just thought, you know what, let's just give it a go. If it works, it works. If not, but I didn't even mention it to anyone at the beginning because I just thought if this doesn't take off, it's probably just going to be another idea that I came up with and didn't happen and all these sort of things. So I was really hesitant in the beginning to even talk about it. So, yeah, so I think once it did go ahead and we decided to give it a go, it just really, it's really weird. I think the universe just works in crazy ways and it was at a time where I was really just questioning myself and it just came out of nowhere. It's not something I had even given any thought to prior to this coffee with a girlfriend. So, yeah, it's crazy. I guess we've learnt that the idea just came to you discussing it with a friend whose daughters play football. So my kids have steered completely clear of football. Neither of them have gone. Jack did a little bit when he was younger, but we could just see that the interest wasn't there. He loved watching it. When it came to playing no, and Ella is passionate bulldog supporter, passionate, even though she lives in Geelong. But, yeah, she never pursued it either. So so how does it go from that little idea, just that little light bulb moment at coffee with a friend? It's a big process to actually have a sample in hand. What's the first step? <laughs> yep, so literally caught up for a coffee on a Monday morning which was about four years ago now, and her three daughters had just started playing football and they were – I think eight was the youngest and 17 was the oldest. We were just talking about how fierce these girls played and just how hard they went in for the ball. Obviously, none of them had had that opportunity of going much further than Auskick. So, um, you know, just awareness and things like that that the boys had been given the opportunity for. And it was just a throwaway comment that, you know, I can't believe these girls don't wear some form of protection given that they're, you know, at that adolescent stage and a really hard knock would, you know, potentially really knock them around a bit. And, yeah, and at the time, every time Jack started a sport, we went out and we decked him out from head to toe with everything. And I just thought, you know, these girls, anatomically they're different. You know, no one questions when the boys go out and get all their cricket gear and all that sort of stuff. Yet for these girls, at such a crucial stage, why wasn't there anything out there? And so literally the conversation just moved on to the next topic. And then that night chatting to Brad and I just said, I can't believe these girls are playing without wearing anything. And he said, oh, well, you should look into it. And so the next day I literally got up, got on the computer, did a bit of a Google search. There was nothing available and then did a bit of a search on um, breast injury and there was nothing available. And as I said, I literally didn't put any pressure on myself. I just, each day Brad and I would get up and we'd look for a bit more information or we'd chat to someone and say, you know, what do you reckon? Do you think this could be, you know, an idea? So it was literally 12 months just talking and researching and we were really getting stuck. I could see in my mind what I wanted 
the best to look like, but because we didn't have any experience in manufacturing or anything, we just couldn't get to that next step of actually getting a sample made. And we were trying to do it ourselves and research padding and, and bits and pieces, and it was just becoming to a point where we were either going to give it up because we just didn't have the experience to take it to the next step or a miracle was going to have to happen and someone was going to have to jump in. So, yeah, I just remember one day I came home and I thought, you know what, I'm doing my last search and see what comes up. And I think I just typed in activewear manufacturers Australia and this company in Sydney popped up and I gave them a call and, you know, they were beautiful. They they spoke to me for about an hour and they were really interested in what I had had to say. And up until that point, other people that I had called hadn't sort of put in much time or effort. So I finished that call and I just thought, you know what, I was busy with Jackie, just started high school and I just sort of put it on the back burner. But they kept calling me saying, like, have you thought about it anymore? We really think that you could be onto something. You know, we'd love to be involved. And I think that's what gave me the confidence to say, you know what, let's give it a go because I had, you know, this really small business but ladies who had um, experience with manufacturers and stuff like that. So Brad and I just sort of sat down and said, you know what, Either we do it or someone else is going to do it. So yeah. let's just give it a crack. And literally that's what we did. We said, you know what, let's start. And obviously with their expertise, they were able to do the designs and source the manufacturer, that sticking point that we couldn't quite get to. And I think that's the most important thing is just to back yourself in because, you know, there are things that you're not going to know, but, you know, surround yourself with people who do have those skills and, it can eventually come together. So mm. it was probably three years in the making before we actually got our um, samples and gave them the go-ahead that that's what sample we were going to go yeah. with. So that took three months. We had to do our own research project just to ensure that and validate that there was a need for it. And once again, once we did that, that gave us the confidence to, to say, you know what, I think it is something that's not being spoken about but it is something that is needed. So, yeah, all up the process of just getting to that very first one item to launch was three years. Can you tell us about the vest? Tell us about Xena and what it does and maybe the research project behind it. In order to validate the need for such a project, we did a research project. So we interviewed um, probably about 300 women adolescents, coaches, players, and from that uh, we did all areas of sport, not just football, and really just wanted to find out if there was such a thing as breast injury and if it was impacting performance and whether there was a need for such a project. So uh, I remember Brad organised a small group of the Cats girls and we actually just went in and sat with them and we just had a really good conversation about, you know, the injuries that they had sustained and even what they were doing as a preventative. So, you know, bandaging themselves with padding and the amount of women who wear two sports bras for support. So I think once we got those statistics back from the research project, it really validated that there was a need for this. So we knew we, knew we wanted to do breast protection and we also knew that we wanted to do rib protection. And we knew that we needed to get a specific type of padding because you can get padding from anywhere. But obviously if we were going to say that it was going to be effective and protective, we wanted to make sure that we had 
the right padding. So we were able to source that and we actually use an injected moulding. So the chest and the rib pads are actually individual moulds and that padding, when it's impacted, it actually goes back to its original retention. So it doesn't diminish the more you wear it. And yeah, we, we just went backwards and forwards. Our first sample started without a zip. That was a bit difficult to get on and off. And then we um, incorporated a zip uh, and it continues to keep evolving. We've just incorporated a GPS pocket for, you know, more senior girls so that they uh, don't have to wear as many layers and they can wear it for training. Yeah, so it's extremely lightweight. You know, all our feedback from athletes is that they don't really feel like they're wearing it. And, yeah, I can honestly say that we just get feedback every week just the girls just feel so comfortable and I suppose a lot of it is a mindset knowing that you have got that layer of protection on and we also just get so many personal stories in regards to breast injury and the consequences of it. So originally I did start out uh, thinking this was going to be adolescence but as we continued to talk to people and go out to clubs we saw that there was a real need for senior women as well and then the more I got onto it, you know, I thought, you know, senior women breastfeed, some have implants, some have had mastectomies. So, yeah, it's just been a huge conversation starter. And I think at the beginning it started out, our whole focus was on this best, whereas now it's more about really trying to educate women about the need to to care for themselves. I've been using mine at training, <laughs> Donna, and I guess the, the very first year of football that I played was just after I'd had George, so I was breastfeeding at the time, and I don't know why it didn't come to my head that this could actually be not a great sport for me. And I think even without breastfeeding, you know, if you're at, a, I guess, a different point of your cycle Menstrual. as well, like sensitivity, yeah, yeah, yeah. is a really Absolutely. big consideration. Australian rules football internationally people look at it and they're like what are these people doing why aren't they wearing a helmet why why isn't there more protective yeah. gear and I kind of look at it and I think this is amazing for anyone with breasts and extra breast tissue and protecting that protecting the ribs and I think do the men need rib protection like is that the next thing for Xena too because there are so many like there's this glorified idea of men playing with broken ribs we have so many stories in that AFL you know that, that always come out in hindsight because no one ever wants to say that they're injured and they're playing with bruises all over their bodies but is that part of the research that you did too so it's really interesting because when brad played he actually broke his ribs so he had to source a protective garment to wear under his jumper which obviously no one would know uh, and that's why in the initial stages we really involved the aflw because uh, we knew that in order to wear something on the field it had to be approved and deemed to be safe, um, not only for the player, but um, for the opposition. Having known that he had to go through that process, that's why we worked with them. So we took all our padding in and, and you know, um, had it approved. So initially we were only focused on AFL as well until we launched. And then we just had people coming sort of out of everywhere that play sports that I haven't even heard of before, uh, which I think is a really exciting part of it. And I remember like last year we had a surfboat rower send me a photo and, you know, she's wearing it in water because they get knocked around so much in their boats. But not only that, you know, a number of team members had also ruptured their implants. So 
when I first started, there's no way I even really knew what surfboat rowing was, let alone designing a product for that. You'll have to tell me what surfboat rowing is. <laughs> so they go out in these huge boats into just the roughest surf and they get just knocked around and tossed around and all that sort of thing. So back to your question, she actually messaged us and said that a number of men have been asking if we do a version because they're also getting knocked around in the boats and all that sort of stuff. So never say never. At the moment, it is just Brad and I. So we are finding that, you know, it is full on. And I suppose as time goes on, it will continue to evolve. Yeah, I think when we first started as well, it was really sort of trying to break down that stigma that the men don't wear anything for playing football. Why should the girls have to wear something? sort of thing and that's where we really had to sort of break down those barriers of we're not saying that you know women and girls are inferior to the men or they can't play as hard all those sort of things we're just literally saying that anatomically we're different and a severe knock to the breast down the track well we don't know down the track yet because we haven't really kept you know, had long enough, I suppose, to investigate it enough. But, you know, down the track, it can have some implications. And I think one of the first players to reach out to us, Ebony Antonio from Fremantle, she was the first player to ever reach out. Um, and she had had a really personal um, experience with having found two lumps in her breast. And it was a really scary experience for her. But ultimately, her specialists were, were able to put it down to getting knocks in her breast. So it's no different from getting a corky to the thigh or, you know, in the calf. A breast is no different. It's still soft tissue. It can still sustain an injury. And whether it is just bruising or whether it is something a bit more significant, at the end of the day, it's going to impact your performance the following week. It's going to impact your recovery. Why not try and prevented. I tried my hand at football and unfortunately I was absolutely woeful. So I play non-contact sports. Would you still recommend Zena to people who play non-contact sports? I think so because when we did do our research project, you know, things like basketball and netball came out up top. So as much as they're considered non-contact, there still are the stray elbows or you know, and we're not talking about impact just with other players. It can be falling on the ground. It can be the ball to the chest. So a lot of the girls that we speak to, it's, you know, even with football is just chest marking. Mm. It just gives them that little bit more uh, protection when that ball is coming, you know, full steam ahead to their chest. So, yeah, surf boat rowing, I wouldn't consider a contact sport because they're sitting apart from each other and they're sitting in a boat. But, you know, there's oars and the boat and everything else that they're being tossed around with so um yeah it's sort of and I think too a lot of women just like to feel that secure feeling when they're out there running around or playing sports so a lot of them sort of zip it up and they're almost like they're being held in and and just feel secure when they're out there so yeah definitely non-contact sports you just never know You are listening to the Significant Others podcast. What's been the best part so far of starting your own business from your own idea? I think the best part so far is seeing it on the girls. Like I just get so excited when I see girls wearing it. But even at the beginning of this season, I remember watching it on TV and one of the new draftees being interviewed and I could see that she had it on and 
she'd purchased it last year and I had no idea she was wearing it. So to think there was like people out there buying it and actually wearing it. And I just love every day, just that communication with people who have bought it and hearing their stories. I think, you know, one of the biggest things for me was last year, Brad and I did an interview and there was a girl who was in hospital at the time having just had a double mastectomy who watched the interview. And she had obviously played football prior to that surgery, but also wanted to return after that surgery. Yeah, so we were able to communicate with one another and she was going through a really big journey of having reconstructive surgery and and things like that. And just knowing that, you know, our product was helping someone return to something that, you know, meant so much to them is huge. So I think that's the most rewarding part for me. But on another note, like I would not the business would not be where it is without Brad. As I said at the very beginning of the interview, he's a very determined, you know, when he focuses on something, he just puts like 100% into it. And from day one with this business, he has just gone full steam ahead. So it would not be anything like it is without him to the point where I have to ask him to stop because he just... He just has that same mindset and he's just going to keep going and keep going until he gets it, you know, to where he wants it to go. So, um, yeah, it's very much a, a team effort and without him, I couldn't do it, to be honest. So nice to have that partnership and person just wholeheartedly backing you and your idea and being your biggest supporter. It's really lovely to hear because you have been that for him through his career as well. Yeah, that's it. But I think the nice part of it is too, as I said before, that when you leave that football environment and that club environment and all of a sudden you don't have it anymore, we've sort of come back around and now we're back in that club environment and going out to lots of gym. And you can just see this, like, this look comes across his face and I laugh because I just look at him and I just think, you know, you love it. I think it's still something that, you know, is to do with his passion and with football and things like that. And, yeah, it's just really nice to go back into those club environments that we, you know, had that big break from. So, yeah, it's really nice. So do you lean into his experience as a past player and a coach and someone who is connected in in the industry? So I suppose uh, we do sort of have our separate roles now and they're really clear for us and we know at the beginning we are probably doing a lot of things together, whereas now um, he's sort of got his work and I've got, you know, and we still do communicate, but we know what each other is doing. Uh, I think I, you know, we lean on him a lot for that game experience from that injury point of view, from the actual impact out there. Obviously, his media connections and the connections he's got within the AFL world. So that's definitely a massive bonus. Yeah, that's sort of his area. And then I work on, you know, the designs and player liaison and social media and all that sort of thing. So, uh, and then we'll do the packaging and everything together so you know we've learned so much in the last four years but um you know he definitely his media experience and playing experience and everything like that does come into it that division of labor that you've just explained does make a lot of sense i have seen quite a few articles that talk about brad's best and have him featured in the photos is that a conscious decision no and sometimes I read that or sometimes we're not given a proof 
mm. I should say. So there have been times where we have been given a proof and I'll be like, maybe, you know, my name should be in there. At the same time, I totally understand it. But at the same time, I feel like saying, well, hang on a second, I came up with the idea. But then obviously we're both working on it. So I've been really lucky that up until now we have both been included in it because, as I said, like without him, I obviously wouldn't have the, the... the vest wouldn't have the profile that it does. But, yeah, there are some times where I'll, I'll, you know, the first few paragraphs, it's all about him and I sort of feel like putting my hand up and saying, well, there was another one of us involved. But I also know that that sort of comes with the territory and obviously he's making the stories. I get it. But if I do have a chance to edit it, then I will put it in there. But that's where when I do get interviewed, I will always say that, you know, the company in Sydney, modulus design you know without them we wouldn't have got to that point of designing or even manufacturing and you know without Brad we wouldn't have that profile that we do because it takes a team to get it to this point and you know we've definitely relied on all that to get it to this point so you must also feel pretty proud of yourself too though Donna it must feel pretty good to be the the queen of that operation yeah I think um you know as I mentioned before like Prior to this coming about, I was in that real uh, flat spot, which I think a lot of a lot of us can feel when we've been home for a significant amount of time with kids and just sort of you know lose your identity a bit and and lose your way a little bit. So I think now um, I love what we do and and I just I love the you know interactions that we get to have and and just learning along the way so I suppose it has given me a um, form of purpose now I suppose Um, but I think it's also good like my daughter's 18 and just finished year 12 and she's sort of in a bit of limbo as to where she wants to go and what she wants to do and you know I can sort of um, be evidence that you know it wasn't until I, I was 40 that you know we started this and I didn't have that university degree in business or marketing or textiles, you know. I didn't know what I was doing. You can do whatever you sort of set your mind to. doesn't have to be decided at 18 that, you know, this is what you're going to do. I suppose every little bit that you do along the way is learning and, um, yeah, you can pursue something. You know, if, if someone has said this is what we would be doing, there's no way in a million years have thought this is what we're going to be doing. I love that story and I think that people are going to identify with that, particularly parents who've been stay-at-home parents for a long time. Do you have any advice that you would give to people in that situation? If you're fortunate enough to be at home, not everybody is, but if you are, everyone has a choice and you just have to do what's right by you and your family. And, you know, at the time that was what was right for our family. Brad had that career and... You know, we supported him through that and, you know, he'll often say now that, you know, it's now his turn to sort of do the role that I was doing in the beginning. What's the next step then for research that you're doing with it and research into contact and non-contact sport? So at the time when we did our research project, we contacted a few different, like the AIS and Breast Network Australia and things like that. And they, at the time when we first originally started, didn't have any information on it so the only research project that we could find was out of america and it had uh, they had surveyed a number of um, college participants in various sports and it came back i think around 60 percent of women had sustained some form of injury so that was obviously the first research project that 
we found and the only one. Um, so unbeknownst to us at the time that we were doing ours, the AIS and um, the University of Wollongong, uh, they did a research project as well, um, which obviously included a lot more um, participants. And uh, one of those researchers reached out to us, Brooke Brisbane, who did her PhD on it. So we sort of had that backing as well, or that information when we were going into manufacture it. But I think um, at the moment, you know, the more awareness around it and the more um, people talking about it, I think, you know, down the track there will be a lot more research. So we did or have actually partnered with Deakin University because we wanted to make sure that um, the best was doing what it said it was going to do. So we've been with them for probably for about 12 months. So all the padding has had impact testing through Deakin and it was shown to absorb around 80% impact when worn. Uh, so we'll continue our partnership with them, obviously. And yeah, I just think that the more the conversation becomes normal, and it's quite interesting that a lot of males are really keen on encouraging the female teams to discuss and to get us out to the clubs and, and all this sort of thing. I've really found that, yeah, whether they're dads and they're concerned, but, yeah, it seems I've had a really good response from, from the men. Thank you so much, Donna, for sharing your story and the story of Sina. You've definitely got me fully convinced as a breastfeeding mother, literally breastfeeding on this call. I think I'm going to log off and get one. It's so great to hear from you and to hear your perspective. And uh, we thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Significant Others podcast. We really appreciate your support. And as always, if there's anyone you would like to hear from, please feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the Significant Others Podcast.